Let's do some exploring. Our topic is compassionate capitalism, not the ordinary kind of capitalism, the compassionate kind. Does that sound like utopia? Strictly woo? Is it even possible? Let's dig in. I have a confession. It has taken me two weeks to figure out how to do this particular episode for several reasons. This is the episode I want to share three examples of companies doing compassionate capitalism their own way. And it's also the episode I need to come clean in about some of my own beliefs. And I wanted to integrate everything in a factual, not nonsensical manner. See, I've had one foot in the swamp of controversy for years because I support the concept of everything for the greatest good. And today, I'm going to put my second foot in the swamp of controversy. I am now declaring publicly, climate change is not the problem. Oh my God, what am I saying? No matter how many well-meaning scientists and experts and gurus try to show us that we have a problem called climate change, I respectfully disagree. Climate change is an unintended consequence. Yes, it is an unintended consequence. Remember how I have said, if we knew what we know now about the unintended consequences of our actions... 20, 50, 75, 150, and even 200 years ago, we would not do them. And since that is not possible, the best thing we can do is a do better for the greater good. Well, climate change is the absolute best example of unintended consequences. And if we want to fix climate change, we must together make some drastic changes for the greater good of mankind. And since my focus is business first and climate change second, let's get right to the nub of the problem. Are you ready? You might want to sit down for this one. I believe the real problem we have to come to grips with in order to save the planet is greed. Now, greed is a natural state of the human condition, and greed is also the only reason we are in the mess we are in. Climate change is a byproduct of greed. If greed is the disease, climate change is the symptom. Climate change, therefore, is the unintended consequence of greed. So let me repeat this. The biggest problem we face today is the human condition known as greed. In some religions, I think greed falls under the category of greatest hits. Oh no, greatest sins. And since I don't want this discussion to become some kind of religious awakening, I will focus strictly on man's view of greed. The dictionary defines greed as an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. And we humans have grown up with greed on the brain. I mean, why else would young adults pine for fancy cars? 
Why else would both sexes spend money on at least one power car, one phallic symbol of power, wealth, sex appeal, and prestige in their lifetime? Why else would we humans worry about buying a house and then a bigger house and then maybe a cottage and all the outward trappings that go with a successful lifestyle? Why else would companies demand more and more productivity from a shrinking workforce? Why else would some companies tell their suppliers to exploit third world countries in order to keep their investment in wages and benefits low? Why else would companies have happy, welcoming front doors and all the while their back doors are used for dumping waste surreptitiously into local streams and green belts? Why else would we all believe we need to have at least two cars in the driveway and boy, the bigger, the better? Why else would we all believe wearing designer clothes means something other than a billboard advertising for someone else? Why else would we slavishly commit to one, two, and three-hour commutes, six- and seven-day work marathons, become travel warriors for our jobs, and have little time for our kids and our spouses? I mean, if we really want to be very, very honest... Greed fills so many unmet needs in our life. Greed stuffs the cracks of inferiority complexes. Greed puts up barriers between ourselves and the rest of the world. Greed shows the others that we are the worthy ones, the best ones, the ones to be adored or feared, depending on your point of view. Two weeks ago, I got into a wee Twitter discussion with a well-known Anglican minister. He had posted something about how capitalism was the absolute worst thing ever. So I was feeling a bit scrappy that day, and I rose to the occasion. It was only good until it wasn't, I wrote, and then I proceeded to say why. Well, the minister came back with a yes. Capitalism brought progress and development, of course, but the notion of profit is inherently troubling. Now, honestly, I sat with that statement for a few days. I mean, profit is genuinely good. Profit makes a lot of people very happy. No profit makes a lot of people very unhappy. And I've already told you I love profit, I love working with profit, and I love helping others make more of it, as long as it doesn't exploit anyone or anything. And that's when I realized the nub of the minister's strange comment. He spends most of his time with a population that doesn't have enough. Not enough food, not enough housing, not enough clothing, not enough medical care, not enough education, and so on. And that's why he finds profit inherently troubling. Because not enough gets to those people with not enough. And the more I thought, the more I realized, and the reason that money doesn't get to the people with not enough is because, yes, you guessed it, greed. Now, maybe you've heard of a gentleman named Sri Kumar Rao. Oh man, I hope I pronounce that properly. Sri Kumar Rao. I've taken a couple of his courses. I'm an avid follower of his, and I've been consuming every piece of content he issues for the last four years. He's a brilliant speaker, author, former business school professor, and the creator of Creativity and Personal Mastery. 
A few months ago, his email had a very interesting piece about an experiment he ran. So I think somewhere between 50 and 100 people were interviewed about climate change. Each person walked into the room and they were filmed and they were asked a series of questions about some part of climate change. For each question answered with a, yes, I agree, that is important, they placed a bar on the right side of the justice scales that that was the only prop in the room. So as you can imagine, when the people were finished answering all the questions with a, yes, I agree, that is very important, the scales were very unbalanced and leaning to the right side. Well, then the interviewer asked the same people about the specific actions they were willing to take in order to help combat climate change. Simple actions like turning down the heat, driving less, giving up one or both automobiles, converting to solar energy. You get the picture, right? We've all heard all the various ways that we can do. And do you know what happened? Not one person leveled out their scales. Not one person put sufficient blocks on the left hand of the scale for, yes, I will do that. In every single case, each person said no to doing the little things. And I myself wasn't much better than the study group. I myself could not get behind most of the little things that would make my scales level. And as a matter of fact, that is the ultimate truth for most of us humans. We have absolutely no interest in making any kind of significant adjustment to our own lives for the sake of the planet. Sure, lots of people philosophize, lots of people rant, lots of people write stuff about thou shalt do, you must do, whatever. But you know what? We don't want to buy the expensive electric automobiles. We don't want to give up our two-car gas-guzzling ways. We don't want to spend all that money on energy-efficient windows, doors, or solar panels for the roofs. For the most part, we want to continue doing what we're doing and hoping against hope that someone will take care of the climate change problem eventually. And why do we do that? Because we like our lives the way they are. Because we're very greedy about protecting what we have. And because we just don't see ourselves as part of the problem. So why should we be part of the solution? Yeah, greed has done some rotten things to our brains, our lives, our families, our businesses, and our planet. Climate change is not the problem. Our greed is. And one of the reasons I let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, and shared why I think the fundamental problem we face is greed is because, as I said, today's the day I give you some examples of companies that have found their own ways of conducting compassionate capitalism. And while they have certainly not found ways to eradicate greed, they have found ways to move it to one side and do some good. And before we look at those who are trying a different business model, I want to ask you a question. Have you noticed the trenches we seem to have fallen into? And what I mean by that is we find our superhero businessmen. Yeah, unfortunately, it's almost always a guy who makes gobs and gobs and gobs of money. And then we put him on a pedestal. 
So we worship at the feet of the Jack Welches, the Warren Buffetts, the Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs, the Rockefellers, the Zuckerbergs, the Bezos, and even the Musks of the world. We fall all over ourselves to meet them, photograph them, interview them, write them, praise them, quote them, and copy them. Because to be seen as one of them, to be seen as part of their tribe, well, that's a great accomplishment, isn't it? In other words, most of us are greedy for our share of their glory, aren't we? Until the day that we find out that the superhero businessman has some human frailties, like an inability to conduct a long-term relationship, like a nasty side of arrogance and condensation, an inability to see anyone else except themselves, an incapacity to manage everything in his empire perfectly, and, shockingly, a seemingly powerless to pick the winningest idea 1,000% of the time. And then we are shocked, yes, shocked, that they aren't the perfect creatures we thought they were. Have you noticed that? We also do the same thing with our politicians, don't we? Here's a news flash. No human being is a perfect specimen. Don't believe me? Let's go ask our family members or our best friends. <laughs> I remember the first bankruptcy I led. The owner was a decent fellow, kind of light in the managing and leading departments and very trusting of his long-term employees. The bankruptcy ultimately came down to two things. He had an all-consuming cocaine habit, and his trusted number two employee was stealing big time from under him. I came in six months before we closed the doors to help the owner grow his business. From outward appearances, it all looked pretty good. Inside. Inside was a swirling pit of vipers. Now here's another truth. Nearly every businessman I helped tuck away a few extra million profit dollars had exactly the same kinds of issues. Drugs, alcohol, infidelities in over their heads, rampant miscommunication and misunderstandings, theft of intellectual property, of company assets, of brand identity, helping themselves to a bigger and bigger pot of entitlement. No, not every businessman is stuck with all of this, thank goodness, but every businessman I have ever helped has at least one of these human frailties. And I've probably seen all of this more times than I care to admit, and I accepted it because it comes with the territory of being human. The greatest weakness we have is greed. The greatest strength we have is love. So what I want to stress right now is that the leaders I tell you about today all practice a form of compassionate capitalism, and they are all uber-respected in their communities. They are also frail humans. Absolutely none of them are perfect, and I do not put any one of them on a pedestal. I merely hold them up as examples for you to consider. None of these people are superheroes. They are human beings who thought differently from the rest of the world and put their money where their mouth is. I share them because we all need leaders to follow. We all need examples of decent humans. And there are many around the world who endorse compassionate capitalism. These are just three. 
I am Canadian. In my country, we have a guy who immigrated decades ago. He bought a business, and then he incorporated his mother's teachings into the fabric of his 35-unit international franchise. Mohammed Fakir owns Paramount Fine Foods and made it his purpose to help the less fortunate first. People before profit. He looked at profit as a great thing to help equalize the haves and the have-nots. He saw his duty to spread the extra profit around to those who especially do not have as much as he did. He believed feeding hungry tummies was the best thing he could do for the world. Even now, every single weekend, he personally is dishing out meals to the underprivileged and spearheading food drives for national causes. He's done this for many, many decades, and by all appearances will not stop anytime soon. Some of you might smirk at giving away so much product and money. I'll just share what I see in his organization. He bought a poorly performing restaurant. He decided that a side benefit of having a restaurant was a roadmap to helping to feed the world. He set the bar as to what kind of company he wanted by establishing up front the purpose for being in business, in other words, to give back and to help those less fortunate. And then he figured out the personal values he believed were critical. He walked the talk, and he inspired those looking for a job or an opportunity to join with him. His franchisees and staff are very loyal which translates into low turnover. His reputation as a different kind of community leader is cemented, and the future of his operation appears headed for greatness. He believes empathy starts at the top and says CEO stands for Chief Empathy Officer. From all outward appearances, he leads with his heart and rules with his head. Most of all, He makes it look doable. I also want to share that when a for-profit organization decides to donate substantial sums of money for non-profit use, a few things need to be established up front. Like, how much money does the business need in order to stay in the black and to continue to fund ongoing business expenditures? Like, how clear and transparent is that information communicated to the rest of the team, the banks, and any investors. Like, how does the organization regularly hold itself accountable to that vision? When a company is in business to deliberately give away some of its profit, these are a few of the vital things to establish up front because when they are not established up front, the outcomes are never good. As a matter of fact, My second example of compassionate capitalism is a for-profit company which recently permanently transferred its ownership to a trust and a nonprofit. The owner bypassed the usual bequeathing to the kids road and has directed that 100% of the profits go to fight climate change and protect wildlife. That company is called Patagonia. Founded in the early 70s, 
this $1.5 billion American retail organization has always been on the bleeding edge of activism. As a matter of fact, I urge you to look up Patagonia on Wikipedia because it would take me at least 15 minutes to cover all the initiatives the company has underway to save the globe. What I find most interesting is that the owner, Yvonne Schwinnard, was into activism his entire life and began giving away 1% of revenues in 1985, right around the time that we've already discussed when the Montreal Protocol was gaining speed. This year, Mr. Schwinnard is 81 years old. Ah, the silent generation. In a letter posted to the company's site, Mr. Schwinnard noted that instead of going public by selling Patagonia shares to investors, you could say we're going purpose. The family has permanently transferred its ownership to a trust and a nonprofit. And by purpose, Schwinnard means that the company's profits will be used to protect the planet as opposed to enriching shareholders. I think this is an amazing choice and an extension of Patagonia's years of struggle to make capitalism more compatible with planetary sustainability. It also acknowledges the difficulty of trying to balance the interests of employees, customers, and shareholders with the precarious state of the planet. I share this with you as another way of operating a for-profit with a non-profit intent. Compassionate capitalism is about compromise. There is no black and white in compassionate capitalism. It's all gray. You want to get more controversial with me? Oh, why not, right? (laughs) Okay, I'm now going to put my entire body up to my waist into the swamp of controversy. Have you noticed we seem to have an enormous fixation on mental health in the workplace? Everywhere we look now, businesses are being pushed to foot all the bills for helping employees deal with or move through and get over their mental issues. And while they're at it, they should also foot the bill for better integration of all minorities in our world. Immigrants, neurodivergent, disabled, and yeah, even those who are not the same race as we are. So I am totally against today's workforce being responsible for finding and integrating program supports for all of this. In my opinion, that is not the job of business. All right, go ahead, throw your tomatoes at me. I believe there is a better much less expensive and much more inclusive way to handle all this. That brings me to the third and today's final example of compassionate capitalism in real time. This particular mega million dollar American company I have been fascinated with for a long time. As a matter of fact, it's the number three company in the entire world. Bob Chapman is the CEO of the Barry Weimiller Corporation. He believes every single human is the child of someone and should be treated as such. 
Imagine. Every single human is the child of someone and should be treated as such. In other words, they matter. His people practices are legendary. Even with all the acquisitions that this company has made, he has yet to find a union or another country that did not fall in love with his attitude towards the workforce. This is what the company stands for. Everyone wants to contribute. Trust them. Leaders are everywhere. Find them. Some people are on a mission. Celebrate them. Others wish things were different. Listen to them. Everybody matters. Show them. And that is my point. If we treat our fellow humans as if they matter, imagine what a difference we can make in the world. Imagine how quickly the frustration levels for mental support, for racial and gender equity, and all the other isms that go on would drop. There would be much less need for all those extra supports because all people are treated like they matter. I mean, talk about making your business have a human face. Did you know... A few years ago, the Mayo Clinic released a study which concluded with a big thud who the number one person is with the most impact on your health. Now, here's a hint. It's not your doctor. And nope, it's not your spouse. Wait for it. The number one person who has the highest impact on your health is your boss. Yeah, your boss has the most direct and consequential impact on your health. On the homepage of the Barry Weimiller Corporation, it reads, We're showing what's possible at the intersection of great business strategy and profound care for people. The best part is everyone in the company walks this talk. Everyone. And I'm not saying humans don't bicker or annoy. This company has figured out how to remove that from their operations and focus on their purpose. By shifting the focus away from profits and shareholder value to people and the ways that they touch others' lives, ironically, ta-da, the profits and shareholder value have increased. And that is the power of the fundamental goodness of compassionate capitalism. In my opinion, we merely need to treat all the humans that we encounter as if they all matter. Because when we treat people as if they matter, joy and satisfaction are the results. Intolerance, disrespect, and inequities all fall by the side. When we treat people as if they matter, we automatically create a culture and an environment that gives people a purpose, reduces the stress in their lives, which allows them to be better humans in their personal lives, which ultimately fosters better relationships with their families, their colleagues, their neighbors, and the world. 
This gets rid of a huge swath of all those specialists and consultants that rant about all the things you must do to have or be a better leader. Start with the basics. Treat all fellow humans like they matter, and then watch your profits fly into your bank account. Now, obviously, to have this work, well, that means every single person understands the vision, the purpose, the values, the actions, and the behaviors of the company. In addition, every single person understands the roles of the people that they work beside, and then understands how all that fits into the larger picture of the company. And I'm not saying that getting that level of authenticity and transparency is easy. I'm saying it can be done. Bob Chapman is not just a one-man wonder. His organization has also set up a leadership university to train other companies how to treat humans like they matter. And anyone who watches, anyone who studies, can understand very quickly the rudimentary behavioral changes necessary. Today has been a bit longer podcast. Not only did we cover a number of the normal human frailties, we also covered our first three solid examples of a version of compassionate capitalism. I think you can see that as we explore this topic, it's definitely not a matter of black and white. It is why I believe that if we humans could have been aware of all the unintended consequences that our greed and capitalism caused 20, 30, 50, 75, 100, and even 200 years ago, we would ask for a do-over. And since a do-over is not possible, we can only do a do-better. And doing better is all about doing it in the highest good for all. One last note. I'd like to thank those of you who have sent me notes, emails, and articles to consider weaving into this podcast. I'm so very grateful to be on the receiving end of so much generosity and love. Please do not stop. I read everything, and I'm figuring out how to include it as we go along. And also, if you know anyone who has some real-life experience, please introduce me to them. I'd like to do a few episodes with guests who can speak from a place of wisdom.